Come, Holy Spirit, and send into our hearts your truth, that we might know the truth and that our lives might be transformed according to your truth. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want to thank Dean Limehouse and the staff here at the Advent for allowing me to uh, be in their pulpit uh, today and tomorrow. It is a real blessing. And also I'd like to uh, thank the coordinators of this whole program for the wonderful hospitality that they have uh, put forward for, I, I believe, all the speakers, but particularly for myself and my wife. Uh, this is a homecoming of sorts. Uh, my wife and I were, were, were talking the other night with friends, and uh, I realized that this very day today uh, is the 30th anniversary of the first time that I set foot in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I was a, an instructor at the medical center at uh, University, Washington University in St. Louis, and I came down for an interview at UAB uh, on this very day 30 years ago, and uh, fell in love with the city. And we came and we lived here for, for six years. Uh, so it's a great blessing to be able to be here and be back among you, and particularly to, to be able to be in this pulpit of, of such a notable church. Um, I can think of no better way to, to contemplate contemplate our walk in Lent than to, to try to answer the question that is illustrated by the painting that is on the promotional materials for this Lenten series. And that painting, of course, is the painting of Pilate and Christ. I'm not going to say Christ standing before Pilate because the real story is Pilate is standing before Christ. And the inspiration for that painting comes from the 18th chapter of John's Gospel. And I'd like to read you uh, from that chapter, verses 28 to 40. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If you were a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your own people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then? said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. The word of the Lord. Today I want to look at this question, what is truth? And then tomorrow we'll follow that by investigating what the answer to that question might be. And in order to to answer this question, what is truth, I need to, to begin by asking three additional questions. The first question is, why do we ask that question in the first place? Second, where can we find the answer? And third, does it really matter? Does the answer to the question, what is truth, really matter in our lives? So let's start with the first question. Why do we ask the question, what is truth? I believe there's something innate in in the human psyche that drives us to want to get it right. To want to get it right in this life and to do something significant. Something we'll be remembered for. And remembered for in a positive way. Very few of us really want to be notorious. We want to be remembered as good people, having significantly contributed to the betterment of our neighbor. As the 17th century English philosopher and the the author, if you will, of the scientific method, Francis Bacon wrote in his essay of truth, the inquiry of truth is the sovereign good of human nature. In today's language, he he might have said that the search for truth is our ruling passion as human beings. The fact is that we are in a search for fulfillment of the universal human need for significance and for security. And we recognize that there must be some source for our satisfaction. Another Englishman, C.S. Lewis, wrote in Mere Christianity, First, Human beings all over the earth have a curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. This common curious idea, this this common assumption, if you will, is as to how we are to, to live is what Lewis called the Tao and is very much akin to Thomas Aquinas' natural law. But whether it is Tao or natural law, there is a built-in drive in human beings to know the truth and to fashion their lives around that truth. We need truth in order to function. Our perception of the truth informs all we do and all that we believe. Truth is the mountain upon which we, we view our world. Without truth, everything is relative, everything is arbitrary, and we are adrift in a sea of ambiguity. There is something out there termed truth. The golden ring that gives this merry-go-round of a life purpose and meaning. Another way of saying this is that we live with with an emptiness inside us. An emptiness that demands to be filled. If we are to be complete, we must fill that void. And no matter how much we accumulate, we still feel the hunger for more. And that hunger is, in reality, 
a hunger for truth. And for the truth, there is no substitute. This naturally raises the second question. Where can we find the answer to the question, what is truth? If we're searching to fill ourselves, if we're searching for all sorts of things out there to to cram into that void, and the void is still there, it's important to us to ask the question where we can find that answer. Well, in my own life, that question, what is truth, led me on a path of discovery. I can't say that that I knew I was searching for truth early in my life, but I was certainly searching for explanation and searching for meaning. The drive to learn how to do things, the drive to learn how things work, the the drive to learn how things were made, the drive to be able to imitate and do those kinds of things for myself fueled my first vocational dream to, to be an engineer like my father. Later, I was taken by the the visual as well as the functional beauty of buildings and structural environments. So, I modified my dream toward becoming an architect. But while I was in college, I fell in love. My new mistress was the cell. And the incredible choreography of the organelles and the intracellular structures that danced their intricate ballet of function and reproduction... And my love led me on a path that took me into medical research and the truth behind beauty and wonder of the human body. A vocation in medical research ultimately led me here to Birmingham and UAB. But meanwhile, on the personal level, I married Scotty and we had three children, the last of which was born here at St. Vincent's. As I strove for significance in my profession, I was building a lasting legacy through my family. That was apparently what what God had in mind, but the manner was not what I was expecting. The change had first begun when we, we first got married, and I joined my wife in an outreach ministry to high school students simply because I wanted to be around her. On a weekend retreat, when the students and leaders were were told to take 20 minutes alone in silence to to contemplate the presentation of the gospel message we had just heard, I went out on the beach. It was early spring, hadn't been on the beach in a long time, went out on the beach, Virginia Beach, the full moon and a clear sky shining on the water. What a setup. The only way I can explain what happened was that God reached into my chest and grabbed hold of my heart. At that moment, my search for meaning and truth did not change, but it became significantly more intense. What changed, however, was the focus of the search. For you see, there on the beach, I was brought to the place of Pilate, standing before Jesus, asking him the question, what is truth? And while Pilate walked away to tend to the business at hand, I was blessed not to have a riot to quell or urgent matters of the empire to deal with. All I had were leaden legs that would not move. I could no longer run. The result was a conversation, a relationship. I began to pray And I listened to him by going to the scriptures and studying God's message. 
It was a conversation that would take me from where I was to where I never dreamed I would be. The answer to my question was there before me. And I knew that it would take the rest of my life and more to grasp its full meaning. Well, before I close today, I, I, I want to talk about that last question, however. It's probably the most important question to any congregation that's listening to a preacher. So what? The so what question. Does the answer to the question of what is truth really matter? Well, the simple answer is that it makes all the difference in the world. Truth is reality. And it is reality that gives meaning to our lives. Anything that is not grounded in reality is an illusion, and therefore not the truth. And if it's not the truth, it's a deception. Without a framework of reality through which we can interpret our lives, we can have no security of knowing that we have a place and no understanding of what in our lives is significant and what is not. As in the novels we read, without an overarching storyline, the objects mentioned in the story have no role or impact upon the reader. It is the narrative that gives the objects in action their meaning. But in our lives, where does the storyline come from? Like a novel, doesn't it come from the mind of an author? In literature, there's a law. And that law states that a good writer does not mention the gun on the foyer and the table in the first chapter unless that gun is going to be used by the end of the story. Likewise, if a life is to have meaning, it must be interpreted in the context of the whole story. And that context can only be supplied by the author of life. It follows that we can only know the truth by getting to know the author of the story of the world. The story that is our story. Pilate stood before Jesus and said, what is truth? Pilate turned away. Pilate rejected the author of the story of humankind and his question was left unanswered. Yet Pilate's refusal to stay and listen, his rejection of the one standing before him, didn't change the truth, nor did it change the nature of the truth. In the final analysis, the truth is not a law or even a fact. It is a person. A person with whom we can have a relationship. Furthermore, it is a relationship that transforms all we are and all we do. Jesus said to Pilate, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Pilate responded by asking, What is truth? Tomorrow, we'll look into the answer to Pilate's question. But until then, may the spirit of truth lead you into all truth, giving you grace to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and to proclaim the wonderful works of God and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.